Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is from our Old Testament reading. Here again the beginning of Zephaniah's message to the people of Judah. Be silent before the Sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. You may be seated. Napoleon Bonaparte is considered one of the most important and influential military and political leaders in history. He rose to power in the early 1800s and became Emperor of France for more than 10 years. He dominated the European continent during that time until a coalition of forces came together and defeated him in 1814. He was exiled to the island of Elba in the Mediterranean only to escape in 1815, and he made a march back toward Paris, gaining faithful supporters along the way. The following are headlines from the Moniteur of a newspaper in Paris over the course of two weeks during his journey back to Paris. And I'd like you to note the tone in the headlines and also the names used for Napoleon as he drew closer. March 9th. The monster has escaped his place of banishment. March 11th. The tiger has shown himself at Gap The troops are advancing on all sides to arrest his progress. He will conclude his miserable adventure by becoming a wanderer among the mountains. March 13th. The tyrant is now at Lyon. Fear and terror seized all at his appearance. March 19th. Bonaparte is advancing by forced marches, but it is impossible he can reach Paris. March 20th, just one day later, Napoleon will arrive under the walls of Paris tomorrow. And finally, March 22nd, yesterday evening, His Majesty the Emperor made his public entry and arrived at the palace. Nothing can exceed the universal joy. I say that last one a little tongue-in-cheek, and I wonder if that's how it was written. But it makes for an interesting study in history and headlines. Headlines reflect a perceived reality, and they can change if that view of reality changes. On March 9th, the people in Paris were quite comfortable, and they were calm and they were unafraid. They doubted that the emperor could ever make it inland, let alone as far as Paris. And yet by March 22nd, their headline was completely changed. They grew fearful and anxious. They found themselves asking, the king is coming. Now what? Newspapers aren't the only ones who can put out headlines. You and I put out a type of headline with the way that we live. Our core values and beliefs shape the way we think and talk and act. And while we aren't waiting for the return of an emperor, we are waiting for the return of a king 
the King, Jesus Christ. This weekend is the second to last Sunday in the church year, and it is tradition to consider the second coming of Jesus in these weeks leading up to the season of Advent. But we may be hesitant to talk about his second coming, the last day, also known as Judgment Day. We like to discuss Jesus' first coming at Christmas, but his second coming? And yet what we believe about Jesus' return will ultimately reflect in our lives, in our headlines that we are sending out. The question is, what headlines are we sending out? The king is coming. Now what? What are we showing to others about how we feel about our king's return? All three of our scripture readings today focus on God coming back to his people and the judgment that will take place. And all three demonstrate different ways to react to our king's impending arrival and his judgment. Three headlines, you could say, the way we live our lives depending on how we perceive that particular reality. We can relax. We could run away. Or we can rejoice. Zephaniah was a prophet sent to the people of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, and Judah had witnessed the northern kingdom get swept away by the Assyrians because of their unfaithfulness to God. And they wondered if they might be spared such a fate, and yet they too were subject to the enticements and temptations of leaving the one true God and chasing after idols and immoral pleasures. Zephaniah warned them that the day of the Lord was near and judgment would come upon them, but Zephaniah's message was largely ignored. In fact, in verse 12, God says, At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, those who are like wine left on dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. Zephaniah warned them, but the people just shrugged their shores. Their headline would have read, The king is coming. Relax. They felt no urgency. They were complacent in the sinful lives they had grown accustomed to. Does this describe you or me? Do we become complacent in our comfortable lives? We confess that Jesus is going to be returning one day. This is a core belief for us. In the Apostles' Creed, we confess Jesus ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus' second coming and his judgment is vitally important to our story, and yet do our lives reflect it? Do we speak and talk and treat others in a way that is consistent with the reality that we are the body of Christ awaiting our King's return? Or does our headline say, relax, the Lord will do nothing good or bad to me? I'm good enough. I won't bother in the way that my life may or may not stack up with the Christian life we are called to. I think those who say this 
and in truth, it's all of us at one point or another, haven't spent enough time considering the sober reality that we will all stand before our Creator God and be held accountable for the way we chose to live our lives here and now. Relaxing is not an acceptable response. The parable that we hear in Matthew's Gospel gives us our second reaction, our second possible headline. The parable relates a story of a servant who had been given a large sum of money to administer while his master was away. Now the servant was aware of certain responsibilities. He even confesses to his master when he returns that he knew the master was a hard man and that he was going to expect a lot of him. And yet, despite knowing this, there was a disconnect between what he knew and how he acted. He says, So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. The servant chose to run away from his responsibilities. His headline would have read, The king is coming. Run away. Can this be our headline as well? As sinful people, we are hesitant to consider how Jesus' second coming might impact our lives because that would force us to change the way we live. It would be so much simpler to simply run away from our God, live as if we didn't have a God at all. Or worse, live as if we were our own gods. But we know better. Or at least we should. Like the servant in the parable, we have been given unique opportunities in our lifetime. Our time, our families, our special abilities, our finances. And we pray that we use those blessings to God in service to Him. But too often we find ourselves running away from God. We stick those treasures back in the ground and live as if we didn't actually know that he would be coming back. As Christians, we know that neither of those responses, either relaxing or running away, are appropriate or good. And yet we find ourselves stuck in these ruts over and over again. We may do pretty well in certain aspects of our Christian life, but I'm sure all of us can think of an area of our life that we aren't too proud of. What would happen if we took the notion of Christ's imminent return seriously? What would happen if we did? What in your life would change? The passage that we read out of Zephaniah is a dark one. It describes a people who were not ready to stand before their God in judgment. Talking about judgment can make us a bit squeamish too. I think we know that we're not ready to stand before God's judgment either. And yet that wasn't all of Zephaniah's message. Though the people of Judah were in fact going to be exiled, God had another promise for them. In chapter 3, Zephaniah writes, Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. The Lord your God has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. 
He will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah tells Jerusalem to rejoice. Why? Because even though God's judgment was certainly on its way, God would be the one to save them. He repeatedly saves his people over and over again out of his steadfast love, even though they didn't deserve it. They saw God's judgment in a new light, the light of salvation. And he did save them, preserving a remnant of the nation to return and start over. So what about for us? Well, there was only one true, good, and faithful servant, Jesus Christ. God in human flesh. He was the one who led a perfect life. He was the one who could stand before God, blameless in his judgment. And yet, he was rejected by his people and put to death on the cross. And that cross became a lightning rod. A lightning rod for all the judgment, taking it away from the rightful recipients, you and me. Jesus took upon himself the hell that we deserved. And from that cross, Jesus forgave us. And he rose again to show us that death was no longer going to hold us captive. He promises that when he returns, he will raise us to life as well. And when the time comes for us to stand held accountable to God, it will be Christ's merits, not ours, that places our names in the book of life. The Thessalonians in Paul's day had all sorts of concerns about the second coming of Christ. They didn't know when that would happen or who would be involved or what would happen to them in judgment It was causing them anxiety and fear, and Paul says this to them. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.17 says that we can have confidence for the day of judgment. For Christians, Jesus coming back is a good thing. It is our hope. Judgment now means our Salvation. Our headlines can read, The King is coming. Rejoice. And everything in creation will rejoice along with us because we will be redeemed. If this is truly what we believe, then every aspect of our lives is shaped by knowing that Christ is coming again. And because he has given us salvation freely, we look forward to that last day. Our sanctified lives here and now are a preview of what that complete and perfect reality will be when Jesus returns. That means we don't have to wait around to serve God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. No, those are things we can do right now in anticipation Paul doesn't say to the Thessalonians, Jesus forgives you, so don't worry about anything else. Just sit around and wait until Jesus comes back. No. He says, let us be alert and self-controlled. Jesus died for us so that we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. 
You see, our lives gain purpose and meaning because we know our gracious King is returning. So we reflect that as we wait. The reality that Christ is coming again to our world causes us to stop and examine our lives. We do not dismiss that reality or relax or run away from it. No, because of Christ's love for us, we rejoice. Our sure hope is now grounded in the reality that He is coming again. That is our headline that we proclaim to the world. The King is coming. Rejoice. Amen.